Welcome to Passy Mears CAM Podcast, conversations on aerodigestive management. This episode of CAM features your host, Dr. Kristen King, and guest, Steve Cooper, a person with a laryngectomy, having a conversation on what the SLP should know about laryngectomy. This is the third part in a series on laryngectomy from the patient's perspective. Welcome back, everyone, to this Conversations on Area Digestive Management, the CAM podcast, where I'm continuing my conversation with Steve Cooper, talking with him about his journey as a patient with a laryngectomy. So, Steve, as we continue our conversation, let's chat a little bit about the role of the speech language pathologist, what your experience was with them, and any recommendations you have for how a speech language pathologist could help you or any person with a laryngectomy kind of prepare for the process. And, you know, what is, what do we not know that we need to know? Let's, let's talk a little bit about some of those considerations. Because there are so few laryngectomies, most speech pathologies has not had any experience or has not had the training. I know I teach a class at a uh, very well-known University in Washington, D.C. They have a phenomenal laryngectomy program at the hospital. And the extent of the laryngectomy class is an hour and a half each year. There's no training. There is, there is specialty training. Should you have laryngectomy patients that you will um, engage in? So as a speech pathologist, don't feel intimidated that you do not know how to care for a laryngectomy. I would challenge you to embrace it. There are lots of places where you can get help, education, training, mentoring from other speech pathologists. The more speech pathologists that understand the issues of laryngectomies the more you can impact our lives. And frankly, as a speech pathologist, I've never seen such caring and kind individuals. In the laryngectomy community, we have a saying, your speech pathologist will be your new best friend. And once you go through this procedure and you work with a speech pathologist, you would understand exactly what that means. Uh, to that end, I want to thank you as speech pathologists for your dedication to help others regain speech or communication. Well, thank you. And, you know, I, I appreciate your words. And you brought up a point we've actually shared in an earlier podcast about just competencies and you know, people can get the training. It's out there. You've mentioned some resources, having mentorship. You know, there are definitely ways to get the training and, and to provide the best care, um, which everybody needs. You know, all, all patient populations need the best that we can provide to them. Is there anything you wish you had been told earlier in the process that you, you know, maybe weren't told or it wasn't explained very well or that you wish you'd just known more about? How much time do we have? No, <laughs> just just kidding. Um, you know, that's another issue with laryngectomy, with um, 
with laryngectomy patients. The medical community, especially the surgeons and the oncologists, they're great at explaining the procedure. They're great at removing the cancer or the, in the case of a physical injury. But the pre and post operative counseling is woefully inadequate. And I'm not knocking any doctors or any speech pathologists. It's just not there. Some hospitals have a very extensive laryngectomy program and they have an amazing preoperative education program. Um, one of the one of the most important things I, I feel it should be mandatory. But I know in my case, when I was diagnosed, I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to meet a laryngectomy. But peer-to-peer counseling for laryngectomies should be mandatory pre-surgery. Many hospitals, I'm a mentor, I pair up. My hospital calls on me all the time. My speech pathologist, several actually do, and says, Steve, I have a, I just met a patient. They're going to need a laryngectomy in, a, in the coming future. Would you meet with them? Um, the medical professional, the medical community does not do that training. They can't tell you what it's like to be a laryngectomy. They can't tell you what you're going to go through. They can't tell you about the mucus that comes out daily, like nonstop. The, um, there's so much that, that they, you know, their, their function is to get rid of the cancer. Um, I can tell you quickly one story. My, um, speech pathologist emailed me. They have a patient who's diagnosed stage four cancer. It's so bad. He couldn't breathe. They had to put him in the hospital and do an emergency tracheostomy and they're waiting two weeks for his insurance to approve the laryngectomy. The patient doesn't want to have it done. He's refusing the surgery. Steve, can you go meet with him, please? So I went, uh, scheduled a meeting with the patient and his permission in the hospital. His wife and his daughter were there, adult daughter. And um, we ended up talking for two and a half hours. And like I like to say, it's important they meet another patient because they can see there is life after surgery. You can go on to a normal functioning life. But I knew this patient, he, he said, I'd rather die than lose my larynx and have a hole in my neck the rest of my life. That was where he was at. So after talking with him for about two hours, he, and he could barely whisper, which is what I was like when I had my surgery. Stage four, squamous cell carcinoma of the larynx. It invaded the cartilage. I had no voice. So the patient motions to me, come over, you know, waves me over to his bed. And in a whisper, he says, Steve, you know, I was refusing the surgery. 
He said, after meeting you, I know I can do this. I know I got this. And excuse me, I'm not, even today I get a little emotional thinking about that, that meeting. But that is classic with every laryngectomy. The fear is unbelievable. I mean, if, imagine if your doctor said, okay, we're cutting off your arm, how you would feel. Yeah. We're cutting out your tongue, how you would feel. It's devastating. So I'm sorry, but the, the short answer after rambling, it's critical to arrange a peer-to-peer meeting with that patient and another laryngectomy. Because of the lack of education and we're such a small community, I was fortunate and received a tremendous amount of help and support from the laryngectomy community prior to my surgery. I actually uh, met several laryngectomies. I attended a local laryngectomy support group two weeks prior to my surgery. And it's partly with the help that I've received that I just feel that I've been instilled with the desire to help other patients so that the next patient won't have to go through what the typical patient experiences. Um, I, I continually meet with new patients, family members, speech pathologists, and I've just, just had a, and I just have found a passion to be an advocate for the laryngectomy community. I've met with many laryngectomies pre or post-operatively and found it to be a very rewarding experience. And I sort of joke around. In helping others, I find I help myself. Even though I know I'm helping the patient, it's in some ways it's my own therapy that helps me get through this journey. It's just become extremely important to me to be an advocate for the laryngectomy community. There's so few of us, there's so little training, there's so little knowledge that, um, and I'll, it's you find this is common with all laryngectomies. Um, we kind of want to pay it forward. Mm -hmm. You mentioned some of the organizations that I'm involved with, um, and you mentioned Larry Speakeasy. I'm actually the treasurer and CFO of Larry Speakeasy, which is the largest laryngectomy support group in the world. And in short, among other things, we provide free laryngectomy supplies to patients in need at no charge whatsoever. If they're underinsured, uninsured, if they're waiting for their insurance to process, we either provide it directly to the patients or through the speech pathologists. We're happy to donate any supplies that are needed. We also provide seminars, educational events. We were at the um, ASHA conference in November, American Speech and Hearing Association conference. In 2022 alone, we distributed in excess of $100,000 in laryngectomy supplies. 
as far as resources, um, our website at larryspeakeasy.org. And that's with one R, L-A-R-Y-S. And that stands for laryngectomy at larryspeakeasy.org. We have a speech pathology directory. So if you want to talk to another speech pathologist in your area for help, it's right there. You can reach out to them. It's got their contact information. If you want to connect your patient with another laryngectomy, reach out to us. We, as the largest laryngectomy group in the world, we have patients in every state across the United States and virtually every country in the world. So if you don't know where to start, we can get you connected. I have actually used your website and been to it. It's a great resource. It really is. So um, I was going to ask you to share the link and we'll put it. I'd like to put it in your bio also. Okay, thank you. And I would encourage really though, the, the one to join is our Facebook group. Oh, what's the name of the Facebook group that you have? It's Larry Speakeasy, Laryngectomy throat cancer group. And again, Larry's is L-A-R-Y apostrophe S. If you want to hear firsthand from the patients, you will get, you will learn more information on our Facebook site than any, any of your training. My uh, surgeon and my uh, speech pathologist, they love to call it Dr. Facebook. But I encourage your members, family members, anyone interested, please join our group. You will be fascinated with the discussion, the exchange, the support that we provide. So that is for professionals, family members, patients. I mean, anyone can join the group on Facebook. Anyone with an interest in laryngectomy whatsoever. Full stop. That's good to know. By the way, um, you should both join and see the conversations that go on. You would be you would be amazed. Oh, I'm I'm I will be joining. I didn't realize I was thinking since I'm not currently working with people with laryngectomies that I didn't that it was you know I shouldn't try to join. But we encourage anyone to join our Facebook group. Larry, speak easy. Laryngectomy throat cancer group. Again, Larry's L-A-R-Y apostrophe S. You don't have to have patients that are laryngectomies. Just if you have an interest in the community, if this has piqued your interest, we welcome, we encourage you to join our Facebook group. Uh, you will find the, the information conversation, unlike view Facebook groups that you're involved in. Something else I do in conjunction with the University of South Carolina through their master's laryngectomy course, which is run by Dr. Karin Melvin. They pair students with laryngectomies in the final semester. And rather than giving them coursework over the course of the last semester, a laryngectomy meets with the student 
for a minimum of six weeks via Zoom. And they learned everything that they could ever learn, talking one-on-one with the actual patient. It's an experience that they will never forget. And it's so rewarding for us as laryngectomies to be able to share our story and to see the passion and the interest that these students take. It's just an amazing, amazing program. So if you are at a facility that has that opportunity, I urge you to, um, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can contact me or contact Dr. Melvin. We'd be happy to share more information about the mentoring program. Wow, that would be such a great opportunity for students. I can't even imagine having six weeks. I mean, it would be inspiration. It would just, wow, that would be, that, that's a great opportunity for students. I hope everyone takes, takes you up on that. Because that's, students learn best from, from patients and from that interaction. And they learn, they get so much. It, it could make a world of difference anyway. That's really neat. I didn't know they did that. That's a really that's that's Karen's um program. It's 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 such a brilliant idea. She's done it for several years. It's brilliant, and she has a list of questions that the students, you know, she gives them, and they have to write a paper. And um, you know, I found several many times I've talked to students that are going to become SLPs. And the interest they take in the laryngectomy community is just, just heartfelt. I can't tell you how many times they've said, you know, I was thinking of going into pediatrics, but after listening to you, after learning about the laryngectomy community, this is an area I never knew about. I'm going to go back and reassess where I want to focus my studies on. And that is, what could be a better result than have a speech pathologist have that takeaway after learning about the laryngectomy community? I'm happy to make my contact information available so that if any of your listeners want to contact me directly, more information, how to get involved, I can help them with educational materials. I can connect them with other laryngectomies or speech pathologists in their area. I would, I would be honored to help out. Well, your journey is inspirational. Your voice quality is amazing as a speech language pathologist listening to you speak. It just, I can't believe you don't have a larynx and vocal folds. Your voice is just so good and clear. It's just amazing. Thank you for joining me today and sharing your journey and your story so that hopefully speech language pathologists who are listening in will learn and enhance the care that they can provide patients. And I know that there's great takeaways that everybody's going to walk away with information that they can use in their practice. So I really appreciate your time and really appreciate you talking with me today. Thank you. And again, it's, it's an honor to have been asked. I hope you've enjoyed listening as we've been talking with Steve Cooper. And since this conversation has gone over three episodes, 
I thought we'd end today with a little bit of a summary and recap of what the three episodes covered. And I'm going to bring in with me today, Tiffany Oaks, who's also been present during all of these conversations. And we're going to recap for you the content and kind of highlight some of the points that we personally felt were pertinent for SLPs to know. And, and, you know, just what is, what were the key points made over these three episodes and welcome Tiffany for joining me to chat about this a little bit. So first I'm going to recap the three episodes and Tiffany, if I leave something out, you know, feel free to tack it on. But basically episode one, we talked a little bit about the differences between a patient with a tracheostomy and a patient following a laryngectomy and what's the difference in the anatomy and, and some of the changes that occur following a surgery for a laryngectomy. And then in episode two, we really focused and Steve shared with us about the psychological impact and the emotional impact of being a patient with a laryngectomy and what that kind of did to his life and plan at the time, like what he thought was going to be the impact and then how he dealt with that and how he got to where he is today from a, a mental and emotional standpoint. And then in this last episode, we talked more about the role of speech language pathologists and what speech language pathologists need to know. So if you haven't heard the previous episodes, and today was your first episode with Steve Cooper, I highly recommend you go back and hear the previous two, because we do have three episodes with Steve where we really talk about his journey. And I think all of them add to our understanding of, of how we can enhance the care with these patients. To highlight a few key points, first thing that I want to talk about is just the kind of what's in that stoma, you know, that going back to that, what's the difference between a tracheostomy, a patient with a tracheostomy for maybe a respiratory problem versus a patient who's had a laryngectomy and had that change in their anatomy. And I think the biggest point I want to highlight, Tiffany, is that the patient with a laryngectomy could have a tracheostomy tube. So the question comes up, well, if they've got a tracheostomy tube, could they use a speaking valve? And we've actually had that question come in to us before. And what's the answer, Tiffany? No, you <laughs> cannot. So it, just because they have a tracheostomy tube, the anatomy has changed such that they do not have access to that upper airway the same way that they did before. It's not connected the same way. So you cannot place a speaking valve on a trach tube for a patient with a laryngectomy. Yeah, and I think the key piece of that is just we need to know as speech language pathologists what's in that stoma. And that alone isn't going to answer the question. So if they have a tracheostomy tube, we also have to know why do they have the tracheostomy tube and what's, you know, what has happened to the anatomy? Is there a change if they're a patient with a laryngectomy versus they're a trauma patient, you know, who has maybe a flail chest or a respiratory disease process? Like what's you know, what's going on with the patient. So we can't just look at what's in the stoma and say, oh, now we know what's going on. A person with a laryngectomy could have a tracheostomy tube. They could have a T-tube. They could have stoma cover. What you about can see this? The HME, you can see the stoma stent. There are different things that it may appear as. So we do need to understand what the equipment is and what that means for the patient. And another thing we want to be aware of with our patient with a laryngectomy is do they have a... TEP, you know, do they have that tracheoesophageal puncture and do they use that for communication? And that's something I know I had a patient one time 
that I got called to the floor and their TP had come out and they wanted assistance. The staff wanted me to put it in. They thought as a speech language pathologist, I could put it back in place. And um, that's not my area. I was, I worked in trauma. I didn't work with patients with laryngectomies and I couldn't do it. I was not trained, properly trained. So people who work with this patient population really have to be properly trained to provide the care for them or to like change the TEP and really know, you know, what they're doing. Is there anything else from episode one, just as far as like what's in that stoma and the laryngectomy? Is there anything else you think we should kind of reiterate or, or reemphasize as a key point? I think Steve mentioned it a little bit and you guys discussed it. And you just mentioned you being called to the floor there for that TEP that came dislodged, displaced. And you guys discussed making sure that that stays open. And he talked about using a soft catheter, if nothing else, something to keep that puncture open. And that's going to be really important if you run into that kind of situation. Yeah, the hospital I was in, and, and he specifically asked me about the color of the catheter. Uh, and it may be a little different depending on where you are, but we called him a red robin. It was actually the red rubber catheter that's really soft and flexible. And that's what you used, what we used at that time to, to hold puncture open. And I knew that I did know that much, but I could not put the TEP back in place. So I'm glad you repeated that information. So let's move on to the second episode where we chatted about the emotional and psychological impact. And I know Steve shared that the doctor said he would want a psychiatrist. And he was kind of like, why, why would I need a psychiatrist? And they are certainly one of the people that could work with a patient who's having any type of issues with the emotional or mental impact of a disease process they're going through. That would be true for any patient. But what are some other people? I want to uh, reinforce kind of the other professions and that are available to us in acute care, potentially rehab, home health. You know, we've got other resources and people who can assist with that emotional, psychological side of dealing with a disease process or a cancer or a trauma or, you know, whatever the person has gone through. I know in acute care, I often would get the recreation therapist involved in pediatrics, the child life specialist, but uh, we'd have a recreation therapist, social worker, the hospital chaplain. Who else am I forgetting? Some facilities have music therapy as well. Oh, that's and a great that thing. can be really beneficial from an emotional standpoint for patients as well. Yeah, oh, that's a great one. In home health, did you have those same resources? It's hard to, it's, you don't think about it as being that kind of thing in a home health, but we had chaplain services that were available that we could consult. We certainly had social work. I worked with a social worker that would do anything for patients if they needed round the clock care and she couldn't found, find something, I think she would have stayed with these patients. So we absolutely had really wonderful resources available for social work and chaplain services there as well. That highlights the staffing considerations. So let's move on to episode three, where in this episode, we were talking about the role of the SLP and resources that are available. And I just want us to kind of list those resources and highlight, you know, what's available as we work with these patients. And, um, and hopefully it'll help people, even if they work with other diagnoses, while these might be specific to patients with laryngectomies, there are similar types of organizations and options for other diagnoses, but we're focused right now on patients with laryngectomies. So he mentioned, as we were talking, Steve shared about the Larry's Speakeasy group, and they've got larryspeakeasy.org as a website, and it's a nonprofit that provides all types of 
support so far as they do loan loaners on um, electrolarynxes. They have resources for speech language pathologists. And then they, one of the big things he mentioned and that they share on their website that I think is fabulous is they have a peer-to-peer option for setting up where someone who's longer into their, you know, post-surgery and has lived with and, and understands, you know, what it's like to live with a laryngectomy, they have people they can connect patients with preoperatively to help them understand better kind of what's coming and, and what they would be dealing with. And I think that's a really nice option through that group. What else would you add on? Just on that, that pre-surgical counseling, I, you know, with doing like a modified barium swallow study or something like that, or different exercises, I used to tell patients, or if I had to thicken liquids, like I'm not making you do anything I've not done myself. I've never had a laryngectomy. I can't be able to really explain that that well. So having that peer-to-peer counseling really is very important, I think, for these these patients and having access to that through different resources. Uh, webwhispers.org, I think, also has that kind of program. That's something else that speech pathologists can check out for resources. The Larry's group has a Facebook page, which Steve shared about. And anybody, as he mentioned, is welcome to join. And that's Larry's Speakeasy Laryngectomy and Throat Cancer Group. And that's a really nice... He's, place to go and see all kinds of conversations and information about working with patients following laryngectomy. And then of course, state associations or state resources. A lot of states, almost all states have support groups and resources through those support groups. Some states only have one or two and other states have seven and eight support groups throughout their state. So definitely check within your state and see what's available that you could refer your patients to. Are there any other resources we're forgetting? The American Academy of Otolaryngology also publishes a laryngectomy guide on their website. Yes. And that reminds me that most hospitals in-house will have their own laryngectomy handbooks or guides that they've developed. A lot of hospitals will have those that they've developed to provide to patients. And so depending on where you work, you might have one within your facility. And I did forget a point I want to make that as speech pathologists, we can have a really key role in helping these patients prepare for what's going to occur following that surgery. And it's really good if you're in a facility that provides these surgeries and it's an area of interest for you that you can, you know, kind of get more hands-on with is to really push to be on that team so that you might be able to offer counseling and education preoperatively. Some facilities provide that where the SLP can work with the person and really talk them through, you know, what the changes may be and what their options are for communication following the surgery. As Steve talked about uh, in one of the episodes, some people get a primary puncture and some get it at a later point in time and knowing what your facility provides, all of that can link into what we as a speech pathologist can do by providing that early counseling and education before the patient even gets to the kind of that stage of the post-operative changes. So I think, I think that kind of covers everything. Tiffany, is there anything else you want to share that we need to to add in? No, I think Steve said most of it pretty well. I did. Well, I did too. And I, I loved having him on and, and talking about just hearing him talk. I loved having him on and hearing him talk. I mean, it's just amazing. So thank you everyone for joining on this episode, this third episode with Steve Cooper. If you didn't hear the first two episodes, I highly recommend you hear all three because it's, they're eye-opening, 
they're inspirational and they're just, it's just fabulous information from him. So thanks again, everyone for listening and tune in to our next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of CAM. We are happy to offer continuing education credit through ASHA for this podcast. To receive credit, please go to www.passymuir.com podcast and click on the continuing education link under this episode. Then you will either create an account or log into your existing education portal account. Complete the quiz and course evaluation for your podcast episode. Your certificate will be available for download once completed. 